Hello, Hello. everyone. Welcome to episode 16, 16. of Coffee with Crime. I am Lewis. And I'm Alexi. And um, let's see. Well, let's get right into it. Yes. Methodical Coffee in Greenville, South Carolina, sent us a coffee this week. And uh, you know what? I always blab and blab for, uh, about stuff, but let's start today's episode by just trying the coffee. Oh, okay. Uh, without any... Um, preconceived notions whatsoever about All anything. Right. Let's just, let's just, awesome. let's just, uh, cheers. cheers. Oh, wow. Mmm, another good coffee. What do you taste? Really what do you good. taste? Um, let's see. Mmm. I know I say this every time, but I taste like chocolate, kind of. Well, this week, you are right. Yes! I knew if I said that enough times, eventually I would be right. You win. <laughs> um, I, t- I taste uh, chocolate as well. I also yeah. taste um, berry, uh, like a fruity flavor, Okay. which is not in the tasting notes. Um, but this is uh, a, a awesome coffee from Methodical in Greenville, South Carolina, and it is their Blue Boy mm. coffee. It's actually a blend of Guatemalan coffee and Colombian coffee, uh, which we um, we do a lot of single origins, so I'm glad we're doing a blend yeah, this to, is, this to really branch out and uh, and explore different kinds. Um, it is based on, it's the, the name, the inspiration for the name Blue Boy actually comes from a painting from the 1700s uh, called, and it's, it's a pretty familiar painting, I'm pretty sure you've probably seen it here or there. I, I looked it up, so I cheated, but mm. uh, a painting... Uh, by Thomas Gainsborough, and it's just a little boy in a like slight blue silk sort of royal looking clothes. And, okay, um, I think I've, I think I know yeah, what you're talking about. It, it would yeah. be it would be familiar if you saw it. So they um, that painting was actually done. A lot of people think the boy was a royal from a royal family, but he was just a he was son of a, a merchant or something hmm. that the painter knew. And so it was, um, I think, kind of like a. Um, well, I, I guess I should probably read more before I say what the, what kind of statement, but it's supposed to be a simplicity and, and like, a and, uh, I think one of the words they used, I loved the description of the coffee on the website. It was very, uh, the last sentence, um, blue boy does right by these origins, displaying the coffees at their best. He does right by us representing humble sophistication with panache and he does right by his namesake keeping his Arcadian gentility alive. Ooh. I feel like I'm just what reading some... What does panache mean? Uh, I forget. I'd have to look that up. Okay. That's um, a word I don't... I don't know that I've heard that before. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, P-A-N-A-C-H-E. I... Um, I, I remember reading it in a book one time and looking yeah. it up and then and then directly forgetting what it meant. Huh. So, I like, um, I like it. whatever it means, someone's like making it. fun of us right now for not <laughs> for not knowing what panache means because I I feel like it I feel like I should know what that means but I don't. Um, thank you, Methodical, for sending us the the Blue Boy blend. It is awesome. The uh, tasting notes are chocolate, which yes. we both detected. Also, graham. Ooh, like graham cracker. Right. Interesting. And brown sugar. Mm. And it is sweet. It has yeah, a sweetness it to it um, that I really enjoy. I'm taking another okay. sip here. Ah, It's so good. It's really, really good. Um, I hope you're all doing well out there. We um, we've, um, haven't done any cold brews yet, but the weather is getting warmer here in the Midwest in the United States. And uh, so I know that um, that people at home are starting to 
uh, or you know make uh, cold brew coffee. There are certain ways to do that. Uh, my favorite way is to in a French press to grind some coarse coarse ground coffee, put it into the bottom, fill it with cold water, and put it in the fridge for twelve to twenty four hours. Um, it really extracts a lot of sweetness out of the coffee that you eat, don't even get when you brew it um, hot because of the time that it that it slowly. It's it, you know just like something marinating. It's the water just absorbs uh, more sweetness and flavor from the from the um, grounds and so uh, obviously tons of coffee shops have cold brews and and stuff so we might have to do something like that on the show yeah we um, should that, that would be good before too long but um anyway i just want to talk a little bit more about methodical before we get into our crime the art on the front of the yeah, bag it's really cool is um is really neat it's it's like a i think they call it like color paint by color or something Col- color by number uh I'm, I'm not sure they said on the website what it uh, they, they gave it this style sort of a name but it's like anyway a really pretty like pastel floral yeah like there's there's some pinks some purples some blues and it's like outlines of flowers with with uh watercolor filling in the flowers and it's really pretty very nice presentation here um i like the logo too i wasn't able to find uh, on my searching i wasn't able to find um what this little um kind of like I-shaped thing in the middle of the M meant. Um, maybe it's a C. I don't know. Oh. But anyway, um, and they have a few cafes in downtown, uh, one in downtown Greenville and a couple in other areas, I think. And uh, I really enjoyed just looking at pictures of the cafes. Yeah. They had this very, to me, 19th century monochrome white tile and black counters and um, and like hanging globe lights from the ceiling, uh, very bright and a really cool design. You could tell even even with the even though the three different cafes had different uh, architecture, you know, and design. Like there was there was an exposed brick on one, but there was just a, a very distinct look that they all had. Right. That seemed um, consistent with um, with the design on the bag and with uh, just their whole kind of. Uh, you know, naming a coffee after a, a 18th century painting. Um, right. Yeah, it was. That's really cool. It was neat. Um, Who was the artist that did that? Um... Her name is Annie Coel, um, K-O-E-L-L-E. And I found her on Instagram and um, she is uh, very active. Do this, this isn't the only thing she does. She does a lot of art and uh, was very impressed by her work. So find her on Instagram, all of you people who enjoy looking at cool stuff, cool art um, online. Um, Annie Coel uh, on Instagram. It's, yeah, just uh, A-N-N-I-E-K-O-E-L-L-E. Um, really good stuff. The uh, founders of Methodical are, um, let's see, David, Will, and Marco. Will is the roaster. He's the one that sent us an email back and said, hey, sure, we'd love to send you some coffee and sent us this awesome coffee. Um, Marco does the design and, and branding uh, for the kind of coffee shop experience. And then David is in charge of operations. So these are the guys oh, right nice. here on the website. And um, obviously they have baristas and stuff that aren't pictured here. But but you can learn more about, a lot more about the um about the company on the um, on the website methodicalcoffee.com. There's kind of like a blog style page called Coffee Culture. You can see it right on the menu at the top. And um, you can learn all sorts of things about, about them and about kind of their area. Um, there's stuff about how to make cold brew since we were just talking about that. 
there's a tour of the roastery. There's, you know, just like kind of like an in-depth look at the lives of some of the people who are um, working with them and, um, you know, straight to the source, Southern Oaks, Jersey Farm, talking about a local farm. Yeah, just a really neat thing to learn a lot more details about their area. And uh, and I had a fun time clicking around and learning um, about about that. That's um, so cool. Yeah. Really... Really good coffee. Really good coffee. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, a 70, 70% Guatemala and 30% Colombia in this blend. And um, yeah, it refers to it, uh, the body is velvety soft, um, smooth, chocolatey sweet. Uh, yeah, humble sophistication. Nice. <laughs> I really enjoy this coffee a lot uh, and uh, just extremely thankful for for busy people who have a lot going on especially especially with the um things going on after the uh, you know the the coronavirus and having to like deliver you know change the website change the way that you deliver coffee right. drop things off at the curb for people in the middle of that to still be willing to uh send us coffee for a podcast is, yeah. re- is really neat i appreciate it a lot and and we're gonna really enjoy this um this blue boy as we get into our crime today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, are we ready to I begin? It's hot in here. It is a little toasty. It's yeah. it's warming up and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a whole lot I can take off, but I I was wearing double tank tops, so I took one of them off. So hopefully that helps. I'll fan you with my hand <laughs> yeah. while you're talking about the crime. <laughs> All right, thank you. Okay, so um, let's get started with the crime here. And all right, so the the criminal for this week, her name is Linda Burfield Hazard. Hmm. And yes, that is her real name. Two Zs or one? Two. Mm. Mm -hmm. Boy. Yeah. I don't know where I was going to go with it if it was only one. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. So uh, what was her name again? Linda Burfield Hazard. Okay. Yes. Is that a common, is there a reason that a lot of criminals are referred to by their middle name? Is that like a disambiguation? So Burfield is actually, was her maiden name. Oh, okay. Um, But a lot, I I believe a lot of criminals are referred to by three names so that you can distinguish them from other unfortunate people who might have the same name <laughs> okay. as yeah. them. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, I, I believe that's the reason. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so. that makes sense. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's get started here talking about Linda. So Linda Burfield was born in Carver, Minnesota on December 18th, 1867 to her parents Montgomery and Susanna Burfield. Now, her mother had been married previously, um, but her husband had passed away and they had several children together. And when she remarried Montgomery, they had several more children, including Linda. So altogether, and there's a lot of conflicting records, but I believe there were about 13 or 14 children total. Wow, just between... Between Two yeah, and I think that combined. included like half siblings and oh, okay. maybe step siblings. But so that's um, a lot. Of, that's a full house. It is a full house, and unfortunately, not much else is known about Linda's childhood. Okay, and even that, I had to like dig for it. I'm so, sorry. When was she born again? Uh, 1867. Wow. So you're digging back for this one. Yeah. Yeah. So this is another old crime. Okay. So we did a newer one last week. So, you know, it's kind of fun to do like back and forth. I like how you mix it up. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) Um, So when Linda was 18, she married a 33-year-old man named Erwin Perry. 
And a few years later, they had a son named Roland, and then they had a daughter named Flora about two years after that. So, you know, nice, normal family, mom, dad, two kids. (laughs) If only it were so. (laughs) So, but Linda quickly realized that she wasn't really the motherly type. She didn't enjoy her role as Irwin's wife. She didn't want to be a mother to these children anymore. Hmm. So in 1898, at age 31, she decided to leave her husband. So she ended up leaving her children in the care of her mother, and she moved to Minneapolis because she wanted to pursue a career in medicine. Now, I'm not sure what happened to her husband, why he didn't take the children. Right, I was going to ask. But I think in these days, it was kind of common for men to maybe give their children to someone else, like a female relative or something, when the mother was no longer in the picture, probably just because it was difficult with like them having to work or, you know, whatever. So, and I've heard that a lot of, you know, several different... Yeah. Stories. So, um, so she moves to Minneapolis, you know, leaves her family behind and she starts to study alternative medicine. Whoa. Yeah. She was like a early person to do that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So she didn't actually go to medical school or anything. I don't know if it was because she was a woman and maybe at this time it just wasn't a thing that most women did. Um, or maybe she was just drawn to other types of medicine. You know, it kind of remains unclear, but she was particularly interested in something called fasting cures, and she studied under a man named Dr. Edward Hooker Dewey. So she had this belief that fasting or starving yourself would basically cure any ailment, and it would restore your body into perfect, robust health. Interesting. I've heard, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I think, I think in the Mormon belief, fasting is required like once a month or something. There's like a, it's just, it's just a standard. For how long? How many uh, days? A full, a full 24 hour period. Oh. Yeah. So you just, um, you just don't have breakfast, lunch and dinner or okay. something. I think it's once a month. And I do that most days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you do. Um, and, yeah. So, but, but I've heard, and I don't know if I heard it in relation to Mormons saying this or just someone in general, but I've heard that um, periodic fasting is actually good for your body. It uh, it you're, it's good for your di- digestive system to just not have anything in it, and it mm-hmm. kind of like purifies itself. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you need to drink water still, or else you're it's not a healthy thing. Right. But um, I've just heard that it can be like healthy, and I and I would have to go yeah. research that. I mean, I'm more. sure it is. Um, although Linda. <laughs> took it to the extreme i was wondering (laughs) i just wanted to say before we got in there that uh that fasting has been pointed out to to, in moderation to be like a good thing yeah no definitely but uh i I, unfortunately i don't think that's what we're about to see Mm, no oh linda linda what what did Linda. linda do all right well so in 1902 um linda's divorce from her first husband became final um and she ends up meeting a man named samuel christian hazard Hence her last name. So Samuel was said to be kind of a scam artist. And at one point, he was actually married to two women at once. um, Without the other knowing. Right, which was a crime that he ended up serving a few years in prison for. Wow. Because that's bigamy? Is that right? Um, Is that right? Either that or polygamy. No, polygamy is when you have multiple spouses and they all are cool with it. And they all know about each other. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I think it's bigamy. Bigamy, okay. Which was a crime. I It's probably still a crime. Can you commit bigamy, bigamy with panache? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say, can you commit bigamy with polygamy? 
Probably. Oh, by the way, Linda strikes me as like more of a modern name. I don't think of someone in the late 1800s as being, being named like, Linda. Linda. Yeah, maybe it was kind of like an up and coming name. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I could imagine Belinda. Right. But, or, or um, hmm. yeah, but I can't, I just, um, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it seems like more of a popular name like in the 50s yeah. or 60s, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, but. sorry, go on. All <laughs> Squirrel. <right>. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, Linda and Samuel Hazard were married in 1903. Okay. So pretty much right after her divorce became final, she marries Mr. Hazard. Okay. So after they got married, they moved to Olala, Washington, which is about an hour southwest of Seattle and about 30 minutes north of Tacoma. Okay. I've never heard of Olala. Have you? Mm-mm. Olala? No. Olala. Olala. I think I'm pronouncing that right. How is it? How is it spelled? It's O L L A L A. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds I mean, right. how else could you pronounce I mean, how it? Else? Yeah, it's got a bunch of L's and A's in it. <laughs> All right. So by the time Linda had married Samuel, um, she had already started working as an alternative medicine doctor. And although she didn't have a license to practice medicine, she already had a few patients that were under her fasting diet. So when she moved to Washington, it's pretty easy to be a doctor. Hey, <laughs> don't, just don't eat. eat. <laughs> All right, give me some, give me money. Oh uh, well, you'll see. It's, it's pretty crazy. So when she moved to Washington, she took advantage of a loophole in the system, and even though she did not have a medical degree, she was able to um, be grandfathered in as a doctor because she practiced alternative medicine. There was some kind of a loophole where if you were an alternative medicine person, you could be a doctor. Huh. So the Pacific Northwest has been like that for a long time. Is that still that way? I mean, I think there's like, it just seems like there's more. Like that kind of. Of that kind of like environment. Yeah. Like, like, uh, you know, Portlandia and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully this loophole doesn't still exist. Well, yeah, not not the loophole, yeah. (laughs) Who knows? I don't know. We'll have to look into that. Um, So Linda was described as a leader. She was described as a very informed influential person and very persuasive so she kind of had this like you know yeah persuasive air about her she could convince people to do things okay so she had written a book in 1908 um it was called fasting for the cure of disease and she after that, she opened a clinic called Wilderness Heights, which was basically a collection of small cottages in the woods near her own home in Alala, Washington, and people from all over the world would come for various ailments. Really? Yeah. So, so she became very well known. Yeah. So from anything from like minor aches and pains to like like terminal cancer, wow. basically. So, and she charged these people $100 a week to be on her starvation diet. So basically they would come there, they would live in these little cottages and she would put them on this starvation diet. And I'll explain what that is, but I did some inflation calculation and that would be about $2,600 today. Wow. So these people were spending $2,600 equivalent today. A week. A week. On her, on her not letting them eat. Exactly. So these were wealthy people. Yeah. You know, who came to her retreat right so basically what she fed them was two eight ounce glasses of either tomato or asparagus broth (laughs) a day so i kind of looked this up to try to figure out how many calories were in that yeah um and i it came out to be about um each glass would have had about 15 calories yeah so these people are eating 30 calories a day I mean, you can't live that long. That's like i mean that you might as well not eat anything no it's nothing yeah it's like eating grass yeah (laughs) I mean, that's really nothing. 
So, I mean, and starvation is no Asparagus joke. broth. I've never yeah. even heard of that. It sounds really bad. It does. It I wonder if disgusting. it is bad, and that's why no one makes it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, there's tomato soup, obviously. But right. I mean, there's asparagus like, broth. Yeah. I've never heard of that. Yeah. Um, I actually, I tried to do a juice fast one time. Mm. It was supposed to be a three-day fast. Mm. And within eight hours, all I could think about was pizza. Mm. Yeah. So, needless to say, I didn't. I didn't finish it. But <laughs> what was the first thing you ate when uh, you I think your pizza. Fast? Pizza. Nice. Yeah, I think it was pizza. Hmm. Yeah, man. Well, and if you think really hard about fasting, it almost makes you hungrier than if you just weren't, you know, fasting right. at all. Well, when I was like researching this, I was getting so hungry. Oh, wow. I'm actually kind of starving right now because <laughs> all I had today was a uh, vegan muffin, which was delicious, by the way. But yeah, thank I mean, you, Ernesto. Yes, Ernesto makes really good uh, muffins. <laughs> um, speaking of coffee, too, um, I was just talking to Ernesto um, recently, and he said that. Uh, Milltown Coffee, the location in Moline, will actually be opening for inside um, inside oh, cool. service. They'll they'll space out the tables so that everyone will you know the, all the social distancing stuff, and uh, they will be open tomorrow, awesome. um, Friday, June twenty sixth for for like dine in now, which on on the Illinois side of course is very significant because there's a lot of um, uh, you know steps that uh, the you know, we have to, the counties have to go through to, in order to get to that point. So, so yeah, um, Milltown will be opening and they, uh, of course, carry the wonderful, uh, 3030 mm, coffee yeah. from Peoria, but, um, but yeah, sorry, just thought I'd mention that. No, that's a, yeah, that's so, a great yeah, plug. Yeah. After this podcast, you do need some food. Yeah. <laughs> Something. I do. I'm pretty hungry. Um, so let me tell you about the phases of starvation that you kind of oh, go through terrible. when you're starving. So this is like what someone in a concentration camp, to be honest, would, I mean, would yeah. experience. Yeah. I mean, because, I mean, even in concentration camps, they were fed something many times. Yeah. Like they weren't, yeah, I mean, that's, so So what you're describing here is is not unlike what one of those people would also right. have gone through. Yeah, so within the first six to 72 hours of not eating, um, all your gly- glycogen, mm-hmm. Am I pronouncing that right? Sounds right. Glycogen stores have been tapped out. So your body starts tapping into the fatty acids in your body for energy. Yeah. Um, but your brain can actually not use fatty acids as fuel. Okay. So uh, it will start to break down other proteins and you will end up getting very foggy, very confused, unable to focus, etc. I've, I've been there. We all have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after three days, uh, your muscles will start to break down. You will become very weak. And eventually your immune system shuts down due to deficiency of vitamins and minerals. And eventually you die. Okay. And typically people who are starving will die within 20 to 75 days, kind of depending on okay. probably their health at the beginning right. of right. the fast. Or It's amazing the human body can even last that yeah, long. Yeah, I know. know. I mean, I think after incredible. that long, you're probably in pretty bad shape right you know but but i mean yeah you can survive wow so um aside from putting her patients on this starvation diet um she also subjected them to enemas and massages where linda would basically punch them while yelling eliminate Okay, I wish, this is where I wish we had a video for this podcast, because Alexi is like furiously punching the air, 
uh, much in the same style that Linda would have been doing, that, which is <laughs> demonstrating the funny massage. now. But if I was one of those people, I don't think it would be funny. Yeah. And the thing um, is, too, was like. Is this like a spiritual healer element to this thing with her saying eliminate? I don't. I don't know. Like getting rid of the demons I don't, of. Not, I mean, not bad that I health. know of. Like, I haven't read anything that she was like a particularly, like, you know, mm-hmm. religious or spiritual person. Yeah. Um, I think it was just like eliminating, like, I don't know. Yeah. The calories out of your body? Yeah. I have no idea. But um yeah, where the, would she punch them? Like uh, she on their well, back? it said it was a massage, so I believe she was just like punching their back. Okay. Yeah. But very hard. Mhm. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, and the they're thing like is too Yeah, they're paying this, all this so money. Like, oh, well. I'm and you would think, you know, they would be free to leave. But I think she kind of had like sort of like this trance over them. Yeah. Because every time they started feeling bad, she'd be like, no, it's just going to be a few more days. Like, just give it a few more days and then you're going to feel amazing. All your health issues are going to be gone. So I think a lot of the people that came to her really had significant health problems. So they were trying to, I mean, they were willing to try anything. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's sort of. That's interesting. Yeah. And I think that's still, I mean. That still happens today. It does, you know. But I don't. I, I can't say this for sure. But historically, I think the 1800s was a particularly. Um, there was a lot of that going on. There were a lot of communes, and and cults and stuff mm-hmm. that were. I mean, there's still cities na- uh, to this day. You'll you'll be driving through town and, and look up a little, you know, town called like freedom or called like, right. You know, our land or, you know, so, yeah. or God's land or something. And, and the history, and there was just in the 1800s, especially there were all these people kind of like her, very charismatic people. And they would start these communes and they would cut everyone off from everyone else and mm-hmm. say, you know, that we're going to be like the pure race and all this stuff. And so this, so Linda would have been kind of on the, like, end of that being in the 1900s i think people started realizing after information got shared people read about things in in journals and newspapers that like there are a lot of swindlers out there right and they're getting rich off of you yes and they're taking advantage of you and you don't have anything to gain by joining this little commune in the middle of nowhere in you know ohio or whatever right i think there were a lot of them in ohio i don't know but uh, that sounds right But, um, but yeah, that was I, i i've read um in the past about a lot a significant amount of uh, weird cultish communes in the U.S. Um, all over the place, really. Um, in in the 1800s, it was the thing. Yeah, it's almost like okay, war for independence, and then like kind of finding our feet, and now like we right. don't have enough to do, so let's start some yeah. cults. It's interesting. Cults uh, are fascinating. They really are, and obviously they're still going on. Yeah, you, you read about them all the time, but I mean. I mean, yeah, there's still people that join them. Is the thing? It's weird, you know. I've mm-hmm. seen shows on. TV about uh, people just, you know, only only years ago coming to, you know, and, and not always growing up in it, but actually right. in your 20s or 30s or something. like People are, you know, they're just, in. they're lost, yeah. you know, and looking yeah. to belong or looking for a family. It does give you a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. That's what I, that's what I hear. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, 
Yeah. So, so th- this isn't what you would describe as a cult, but it has some characteristics. It, has, it definitely has cultish characteristics. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, people are getting rich off these people. Right. Well, to take it a step further, um, once these patients would become weak and delirious, Linda and her husband would actually have them sign over all their possessions to them. Wow. So they they would have the, them sign over their estate. Um, and these people had a lot of money. Sure. So they're getting a lot of money from these people. Basically, wow. they be- would become like the executors of their will or whatever. Um, and then after they passed away, they would take their valuables, their clothing, their jewelry, and even the fillings in their teeth. So they were just wow. like stripping these people of everything Brutal. they could get. Wow. And after people would die, um, Linda would actually perform her own autopsies in the bathtub of her home. And when she would fill out their death certificate, she would always state like a different ailment as their cause of death, never starvation. So it was always like can- they died of cancer, right. they died of cirrhosis of the liver, they died from, sure. you know, this or that. Still, though, if they're dying at your house all the time, mm-hmm. you would think eventually people would say like, wait well, a minute. Well, at the very least, this isn't helping N- No, it's anyone. not. It's not doing, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> you know, this finally... Um, you know, even though locals knew about this, they never reported it to the authorities. Or, you know, even if they did, I think that maybe it wasn't taken seriously because she was a doctor. Yeah. She had influence. Plus, being an alternative medicine doctor, you're just not subjected to the kind of... Like, rigorous requirements or whatever. Sure. I mean, but the only thing is if people start dying, like, the police have to investigate I mean, you. But I mean, you would hope if, so. Um. There was actually an interview that I watched with this woman. She's in her, or this interview was several years ago, and she was in her 80s, so she would probably be like 90 now. Okay. Um, her name was Lucy M. Pendarvis. And she, when she was a child, she lived near where Linda Hazard lived, where mm. she had her little yeah. commune. And people would try to escape from the resort or whatever you want to call it, the clinic. (laughs) And they would come, they would come to her parents' door and her mother would feed them. So as a child, she remembers seeing all these people that were like skin and bones and her mother giving them food. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, it's hard to believe that. So, cause if people are, if all these people are wealthy enough to be paying this much money, you would think that it, that more of them would have at some point tapped out and said, wait, like, I'm paying you. This isn't helping me. I'm yeah. leaving. I think, although I mean, she I wonder. Just had a spell over, and him. I wonder if they got to a certain point in their starvation where oh, they right. just their like couldn't mind think straight. Wasn't working right, yeah. Or I, you know, maybe they were too weak to leave. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've I've felt like that when I was hungry, and I you know I have never done like starvation, but right. the, it was. Um, but yeah, it's 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 incredibly psychologically taxing to yeah. to not eat food. Right. So that uh, that's a very good point. Yeah, but um, so it actually finally came to light in 1911. So two wealthy sisters from Australia, their names were Dora and Claire Williamson. They came to the U.S. from Australia to go to this clinic. So they had read about it in a newspaper. Unreal. And they weren't suffering from any major ailments, but they were big fans of alternative medicine. They wanted to like, you know, we're going to get to like optimal health if we go to this place. So they go there. How, do you know how word spread about this? Was it? Um, in it was in newspapers, okay. and I believe okay. it was like probably in. It, it seemed like it was all over the world. Sure, it must have been because and they had all this money, so they could afford right. to buy advertising. Yeah, exactly. Wow. 
So within a month, this is why reviews are good. Yeah. Because like no one would have left a single good review. One out of five one, stars one star would not recommend. Would not recommend. <laughs> I know reviews like for for comp- businesses. I hear yeah. a lot of restaurant people say like, "Oh man, like I wish we didn't have reviews because sure. like someone has one." thing wrong with their salad and they don't say anything about it and then they leave one star it's like you should just tell us but in this case with with this little clinic that she's running i think reviews would have benefited society because yeah. people would have been able to uh cut through the the guys uh, I mean, the lies much quicker yeah but that's crazy that the wealthy people from all the way from mm-hmm. australia would would i guess take a boat yeah um to the u.s just to go to this um starvation clinic right wow huh yeah it's crazy. Did she have, even have one um, star student who had become very healthy, or was she kind of like the not like, hey, I do that this I and... could find <laughs> zero reviews? Yeah, zero. <laughs> <laughs> she had very poor Yelp reviews. Wow. Yeah, I mean, nothing that I could actually find. Okay. So yeah. So the sisters from Australia. Yeah. So um, they, you know, they they go on this starvation diet, and within a month, Claire had died from starvation. Wow. So she she died, but Dora was actually able to send a message to a family friend who ended up notifying the government of Australia and the British uh, consulate in Washington was able to go there and help get her out Good. of the clinic or whatever you want to call it. So, and when they rescued her, she weighed less than 50 pounds. Unreal. And this woman's probably, I'm assuming she was probably like maybe in her 20s Just or... bones. Yeah. Bones and organs yeah wow less than 50 pounds unbelievable that's great there's actually a picture of her that i really? i saw when they got yeah, her out and she looked, looks like a skeleton yeah yeah i mean she looks horrible wow. um yeah so at this point is there an estimate of how many people had died from um, starvation once it's all said and done they estimated between 18 and 40 victims wow. yeah so wow. And I mean, there could have been more, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, yeah. So after the death of Claire, um, it was brought to the attention of the authorities, especially now because they had this other person who had witnessed everything that was going Finally. on, you know, and was able to tell people what was happening. Right. So Linda was arrested on August 15th in 1911 and Dora ended up testifying at her trial as well as several of Linda's servants that had tended to the patients. And Linda wanted to take the stand, but was never given the opportunity. Her attorneys were probably like, mm, Yeah, yeah, no, 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 bad yeah, idea. Yeah, nobody wants to hear your crazy talk. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and it was actually also proven that Linda had actually forged Claire's will and had stolen her wow. valuables okay. as well. So, yeah, caught red-handed. Yeah. So... She ended up getting convicted of manslaughter, and she was sentenced to serve two to 20 years in the Washington State Penitentiary. So she went to prison, and she was pardoned after only 18 months in what? prison. Yeah. So on December 26th of 1915, um, you know, Merry Christmas to Linda Hazard. Wow. Uh, she was set free, but she was told that she had to leave the country and never return. So that was like part of her pardon deal. Right. That she had. Who pardoned her? I think it was like the governor or something. Okay. Um, I I didn't write it down, but yeah, I think that's what it was. It sounds like bribery is involved in that. Yeah, I she mean, she had a lot. Of she money. had a lot of money. I, I I can imagine that's probably what happened. That's but, super shady. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 
Yep. So, after she was released and told to leave the country, um, she and her husband, Samuel, went to New Zealand, uh, where she continued to practice dietary and osteopathic medicine. You've got to be For the next four me. years. Ugh. Yeah. And I, I don't know about what happened when she was in New Zealand. So, there <laughs> was probably... probably why she went there. There was probably a whole slew of other yep. victims yep. there that we don't even know about. Mm. So after four years, she decided to come back to the U.S. Hmm. Even though she wasn't supposed to, um, her and her husband moved right back to Olala, Washington in 1920. Interesting. And she started another clinic with the same starvation diet, but it was a like a bigger clinic. It ended up being a huge uh, sanitarium, and she continued to take in and treat patients there. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's like a morgue. Yeah, basically, you go there and you don't come back. Yeah. Um, so it was during this time that she actually wrote a second book called Scientific Fasting, The Ancient and Modern Key to Health. Oh, awesome. I would like to find these books and read yeah. them because I bet they're like so insane. Yeah. I wonder if there's any like copies floating around anywhere. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so she... Um, you know, she was treating patients. Her sanitarium actually burnt to the ground in 1935, and they never rebuilt it. So I don't know what happened to it or how it burnt down. Maybe somebody set fire to it because yeah. they were just done with being there. But so this is really interesting. So in 1938, um, when Linda was 70 years old, she got sick with pneumonia. And she decided to use her own fast to treat herself. It's about time. So she said, well, I'm going to show everybody that it works. So she did the starvation fast and she died 25 days later. Well, I mean, at least she was ex- as strict with herself as she was with her poor patients. Wow. Yeah, that's so true, I guess. did not... <laughs> Boy, that is... That is karma. That uh, Yeah, that's quite humorous. Yeah. Her... Uh, t- Man. But well, that shows that she kind of believed it that. Well, man. that's the thing because, you know, some people say that, oh, she was a serial killer. She got great joy in, you know, starving people. But, yeah, but the fact that she crazy. actually, she seemed to believe it. Yeah. I think she was just like nuts. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I mean, I. But very persuasive. I think it was a little bit of both, maybe, because, you know, the fact that she was like scamming these people that out of their whole money thing is and not, stuff. Not an accident. Yeah. Right. So. I don't know, but it, but like I said before, it's estimated that she killed anywhere from eighteen to forty people, including one man who actually killed himself wow, while he was, at her he was clinic because so he miserable. right, which is really sad. But um, mm. yeah. So, but as of several years ago, there was a family living in her home in Olala. So the house is still there. Wow. Her sanitarium burnt down, but her, but her original house is, house, house is still there. And the people that were living there said they they believed that it was haunted. And the original bathtub where she performed autopsies is still there. What? Yeah. Ooh, I just got chills. I know. Ooh. I know. Why would you want to live there? I don't know. I would not want to take a bath or a shower or anything in there. Yeah. I would have that thing ripped (sighs) out stand right where a bunch of murdered people have Mm -hmm. been like, Oof. Yeah, the guy that uh, was living there, he said that he'll like stand at the sink and like do dishes or whatever, and he said that he'll see like a face oh, out of the yeah. corner of his eye. Well, why, do you, why would you live there? I don't know. It did, he didn't seem super bothered by it. Yeah, I think some people like so, that. So maybe kind of he thing. was just like you yeah. know, but wow, it's pretty creepy. Um, 
Yeah. So, um, and there was actually a book about it written by a uh, crime writer named Greg Olson. It was called Starvation Heights. Mm. And Starvation Heights was actually the name of, that the locals gave her her place because right. so many people starved people who there. were fortunate enough to be too poor to afford her treatment. right yeah. yeah and that woman that uh, i was talking about earlier the older woman lucy um i can't remember the last the last who, name yeah. yeah but she said that um linda would come to her parents house all the time and tell them like oh you need to come to my clinic yeah you know i can cure you of like whatever and she was like my parents were gonna have none of that no starvation heights for us yeah so yeah that's the story of Linda Hazard. That's, wow. That's so strange. It's so weird. Mm-hmm. Like if you tried to write a book about murders, you wouldn't be able to think of something yeah. like that. This, um, is a, this is a case like unlike any we've done, I yeah, think. Yeah, it's a strange combination of of the whole, of like med- medicine and, and, uh, and murder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, how'd you find out about it? Um, how did I? I think originally I had seen it on a show like a couple years ago, and then I just came across it when I was like looking up murders yeah. recently. And I came across it and I was started reading about her, and then I remembered I was like, oh, this is that woman who like you know starved all those people. Okay. So, yeah. Interesting. Are you interested in alternative medicine um, solutions ever? <sighs> I mean, I think I'm like a like a mix of things like. Yeah. You know, I I like taking like supplements and things that are, you know, natural. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't ever go to these lengths. Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely a place for good old Western medicine. <laughs> yes, definitely. In this world. Um, yeah. What about I mean, I know you don't really go to the doctor. Um, no, I mean I haven't been sick enough really to go to the doctor. Well, that's good. For a while, so I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. Um, I But yeah, I mean if there's like uh well, for example, I heard a while ago that garlic is like a natural um oh, what do you call it? Um good for your immune system. Like um like a antibiotic. Antibiotic, yeah. thank you. Sorry. And, um, and so I will, and it's like a super weird thing to do, but I, when I'm coming down with something, I will like actually chop up garlic. Like I know there's pills where it doesn't smell as much, but sometimes I'll actually just cop up, chop up some garlic cloves and, and eat them. And, uh, I like to tell myself that it makes a difference, but, uh, chicken soup is my main Mm, natural remedy. I, every time I get sick, I buy a chicken, a whole chicken at the store, put it in a big pot of water, boil it until it's all cooked, you know, and then uh, chop up some celery and some carrots and, and some garlic and onions and a bunch of salt. I think that's probably the main thing because like that salt yeah. is like, it, you know, disinfects things. And uh, yeah, I uh, hardcore eat, eat loads of chicken soup when I'm coming down <laughs> with something. But, you know, that's for a cold. That's sure. definitely not for coronavirus. It's not going to help anything with that. I mean, it might. You never know. <laughs> it's well, I mean, still We out. don't really know anything about what it is or... Yeah, a lot of new, what, new information. Yeah, there's something new in. every day. So I think whatever you decide to do is probably just fine. <laughs> well, I like my chicken soup, you know, because it tastes good too. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. Um, but yeah, I try, you know, if, if possible, I try to avoid like doing... You know, like any sort of medicine where I just, I just, you know, if, if I can try to, and, th- and this is kind of like the, I guess the basic tenet of natural medicine is try to get your body to heal 
itself and listen right. to it and and try to uh, take advantage of that rather than just like putting out on a crutch on crutches all the time. But there are times when people just need you know yeah definitely painkillers or or uh, yeah I uh, think you could blood pressure medicine you could definitely go off the deep end oh with for sure alternative yeah. medicine well, either way really yeah, yeah for sure so. Coffee is uh, is is a drug. Caffeine is a drug. I, I but it enjoy. also has health benefits. It has a lot of health benefits. Um, that's yeah. The that's um, what they say. It like has uh, anti-inflammatory um, like or something. Yeah, it is an anti-inflammatory. Yeah. Actually, yeah. So I'm never inflamed. <laughs> Apparently, there's like, I, um, I can't remember the last day I didn't drink coffee. And when I'm sick, I actually don't feel like mm-hmm. drinking it. Like for for whatever reason, that desire just goes right. away. But I, I have, have to drink to. it. Yeah. And you know why is because I nope. will get a mm-hmm. horrible headache um, in addition to whatever sickness I'm going through yeah. if I don't if I don't have like at least one nice strong cup of coffee every morning. So <laughs> it is a drug. Is, it is a chemical <laughs> dependency that I've chosen. Yeah. But um, I mean, you don't have too many vices, so I think it's I think it's okay. Um, I can think of worse vices. This is a pretty neat vice, yeah. and especially when you're getting coffee from someone as skilled in the arts of roasting as methodical. Um, it's interesting too that be, there there's like this this coffee is called Blue Boy and named after a painting from the, from you know this, the late 1700s. Which um, it's just kind of cool that that's like an old painting and we did an old crime today. So yeah, that is just cool. like last week we were doing a, a crime where like oh, the fingerprints were kind of like a common. Right commonality between so yeah things kind of like connect you never know it's kind of crazy yeah it yeah. is very cool um we have decided that we are going to do 20 episodes total for our first season and then we are going to take a little break we're going to take a little break things are getting busier for both of us and uh, we have loved this and we are going to keep doing it but we just thought it might be nice to have a little while to dedicate to the other things going on in our lives and um and we thought 20 was like a nice number. Yeah, it's 2020. <laughs> exactly. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we've got some more coffees coming in mm-hmm. from all over the country, which we are really stoked about. We're going to do one more mug giveaway, so keep listening. And and again, anyone who has already left a review on Facebook will be put in that drawing. If you haven't left a review yet, please go ahead and just any anytime. Yeah, there's please. no there's no limit to like this. The the there's no time. A restriction for and you can when do it on can... Facebook. You can do it on Apple. Yeah. Yep. You know whatever you want. So yeah, exactly. And you can leave an honest review. I mean, if you want to leave four stars for some reason, <laughs> no. If we, if we haven't made you happy, um, we want to make you happy. We, we definitely do um, by by telling you about coffee and crime. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, hope you're enjoying this. And we are going to do after this episode, we will be doing four more. Mm-hmm episodes uh each week one each week until we hit 20 and then we'll take a little break so just wanted to let you all know that in podcast land and uh there's a lot of true crime podcasts out there so we're we're very honored for everyone who who spends a 45 minutes to an hour listening no seriously it's like every time we hear that someone's been listening it just it makes us feel really good yeah and i've been every day i i run into people that are that are like hey that's really you know i like i I listened to this thing the other day and and i never knew about that so Mm -hmm. we have a lot of fun researching stuff and we i I learn a lot about not just like coffee but all the things around it the part of the world that it comes from the different thing interesting things that um coffee shops are doing that the art you know like i learned about an artist um Annie Coel that I never would have known about mm-hmm. before. So uh, we're, we're both, it, it's just a fun project where you kind of get to expand your mind. Yes, definitely. Yeah. 
Definitely. So thank you so much for making this coffee. <laughs> thank and you. thank you to... Thank you to Methodical. Yes, no problem. Thank you for uh, bringing our attention to this very interesting case uh, this week. And um, so I'll see you again next week. I um, should let you get eating something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should, I should probably do Especially that. after this yeah, I know, story. I'm I don't want you to become hungry. starving. <laughs> All right, and we will take our coffee this prime. See you next week. Bye.